Hi everyone, this is Gab. And this is Lei, and welcome back to another episode of Where to Go Next, a show where we talk about where we come from, what it's like to live abroad, and where we want to go next. We hope that our conversations with people who have lived outside of the country where they were born will bring some humorous stories and insightful lessons that we can all take with us, wherever we are and wherever we are headed. So without further ado, buckle up, sit back, and relax as we take off for another episode. So today we are really honored to have my friend David Wen, um, who is currently living in Shanghai, and he's going to talk about his experience moving around between U.S. and China for the past 10 years. And we're going to have David to talk a little bit more about where he came from and where is he right now. All right. Um, so, David, would you mind giving our listeners a little bit of introduction about yourself, where you came from, and where you where you are now? Sure. Um, so, uh, I'm David Wang. I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, um, and yeah, I've basically been going back and forth between the U.S. and China for my entire career, um, and I'm currently in Shanghai, China, uh, doing a lot of work in innovation and design, as well as raising a family. Wow. So, yeah, Lady, want to ask the first question that we prepared for him? Sure. I guess, like, because Gab already knows quite a bit about you, but um, for all of us listeners out there, I guess, um, can you talk a little bit about like the first time that you lived outside of the U.S. and sort of like what motivated that first step or first move and what that experience was like? Yeah. Um, so the first time I moved out of the U.S. Uh, and to, to live was in 2004. Uh, and in 2004, I, I moved to Xi'an for an exchange program um, with my high school. So my high school had, at the time, a exchange program with a high school in Xi'an, and I lived in Xi'an for about six months uh, with the host family there, and then went to a Chinese um, high school, and that was super eye-opening. Actually, part of the reason that I originally went, um, because I'm also half Chinese, was to basically better understand some of where my family comes from and where what's happening um, in that aspect of my family heritage. Um, however. You know, Xi'an is very different from where my dad's from. My dad is from Hong Kong, uh, and you know they speak a different language, they eat different food, they have, in many senses, a very different culture. Um, and so I went to Xi'an basically sort of with this very naive understanding that China is, you know, the same. China is China, um, but in reality, uh, Xi'an was an amazing experience because number one, I got to experience the uh, the drudgery of Chinese high school, even at a really great high school in Xi'an, but lots of um, sitting in class, very different kinds of um, educational approaches in terms of we had probably 50 people in the class and it was very didactic in terms of how people sort of, how the teachers came in and sort of told you, this is what you need to memorize for the test. Um, that's really what the focus was. But it was also a great experience meeting all the people and sitting in the back of the room and not being able to understand a word um, and, you know, having all the Chinese, uh, probably probably less less motivated, less intense students sit in the back of the room with me, just make jokes about different things like um, playing basketball or different movies that we had in common and always in English at the time. And then, of course, living with a Chinese family, um, which was also really interesting. I had a little Chinese host brother who was in middle school um, and then actually ended up becoming quite close with my host fam family, um, especially my host mom, who would 
for some reason, we stuck, t- started talking about Buddhism, and she would take me out to her Buddhist temple a lot um, and to meet with her her um, instructor, her shurful. Um, and so that was something that we did a lot, as well as I sort of introduced her to uh, running in the morning. Um, so she and I would wake up very early and go for runs uh, in the morning. So that was an interesting experience. Um, we, uh, or I, I personally got to see a part of China that was very different from where my dad grew up and very different from anything that I had heard of about China um, previously while living in the States, um, especially as I began to um, become more and more involved in China, realizing like the, the Muslim influence in Western China, uh, the differences in food, um, the differences in dialect and culture uh, in Western or Central, mid Central Western China. Um, and so that was pretty amazing. And then I spent those six months, came back, graduated from high school, and then shipped off to college. Wow. So I know that you um, went back to China. I mean, I think you did a program, an exchange program with Stanford. I forgot, uh, FACES, is that what it's called? Um, not mm-hmm. sure what the time, um, what time that happened, but also you sort of decided to do a Fulbright um, afterwards. So what motivated you to make those decisions? Um so, I mean, if we're going to talk about my China in- interactions, the full journey, um, I think I think actually the next step on the journey uh, wasn't FACES and it wasn't the Fulbright. Uh, when I, I went to college and because of my experience in Xi'an, decided, I, you know, of all the different majors, of all the different things that, you know, you think about going into a liberal arts uh, education, the only thing that was consistent was every year I would take Chinese, um, largely because of my mm-hmm. own struggles uh, communicating with everybody while I was in Xi'an. Um, and I, you know, by the end of Xi'an, I felt confident, uh, you know, communicating basic stuff. And, and I think one of the key things, at least for me, learning language is, you know, getting over the embarrassment of, of learning in a language. Cause once you get over that, um, you can actually make a lot more progress. Um, and so I had finally gotten over that with six months. And so I said, you know, every year I'm going to take Chinese at Pomona. My major switched at least, I don't know, eight times, probably every semester. <laughs> Um, from things like international relations to pre-med to uh, probably, I don't even know, economics at some point, basically every possible major you could have thought of. Um, but the one consistent thing was Chinese. Um, and my by junior year, um, I signed up for a, another exchange, or not exchange, just a abroad program um, that was another six months, so summer and fall. Um, and at one of the most intense language learning programs that I've ever heard of um, called ACC. Uh, and they basically take you in, you go into a dorm, um, and you sign a language pledge on the first day. And a lot of programs have language pledges, but this one is a very serious language pledge. Uh, so you basically sign the language pledge and you don't speak uh, English for the next six months. Um, even with my you know, American roommate, or if we went out, we would run into different foreigners in Beijing, um, we wouldn't speak English with them, we would speak Chinese. So. That was really, really cool, actually. Um, and that really pushed me and everybody in that program to begin thinking uh, in Chinese a lot, um, as well as they really pushed you to learn the reading and writing. So every single day, uh, there was a, a tingxie, right? So mm-hmm. a, um, what is it? A, uh, Listening and writing tingxie. exercise. Yeah, like so where the teacher basically just reads stuff out to you and you write it down. Um, dictation. And they used to do that in the United States. I don't think they do that in the States anymore. But basically there was dictation 
um, every single day where you just basically had to memorize 100 characters every single night. The next day they would just read these sentences to you and you'd have to write them by hand, which, for, you know, if you haven't done Chinese, Chinese is, you know, characters are, uh, in each character is individually unique, right? It's not like a word or you spell it. So really it just taught me, it taught me how to learn Chinese um, and how to memorize crazy amounts of characters in a single day and, and begin to think in a different way. So that experience, I would say, um, really pushed me to say, okay, uh, China's not just an exploratory thing, which it was when I was, went for Xi'an. It was uh, more than just like a sort of explore the world, open your eyes type ex adventure um, to saying, okay, well, now it's possible to actually interact and um, really build your own project, build your own learning, build your own exploration of, of the place. Um, so one of the lucky things that I did there Oh man, I'm going to be talking for a while. I feel like, but um, <laughs> it's okay. Um, uh, I, I was really uh, very lucky to get a, a small fellowship while I was at Pomona um, because I did this Asian American in sports studies sociology class, um, which is like, you know, a super specific title, right? Um, but it was a really, really great class because it it gave me a new way of thinking about sports, which was another thing that I was very interested in, um, in terms of how we construct sports and this idea of competition and the body uh, in the United States, um, also around the world, um, and how it affects culture and how it affects your understanding of different meanings with regards to, really with regards to everything you do in life, you know, whether it's um, from, from gender to uh, nationalism to um, different political uh, uh, challenges to health and things like that, right? Um, so anyways, that's the, the short version of this really cool class that made me think about, hey, sports aren't necessarily, you know, the American version of sports um, is only one way of thinking about your body and how to enjoy your body and how to train your body and how to live through your, your physical body. So I applied for this fellowship to make a documentary film, uh, an anthropological film about street basketball in Beijing. Um, and so, and, and luckily I got I think it was a thousand bucks or something like that um, to, to basically make a documentary film. And that was one of the best things I sh could have done. Um, looking back on it, it wasn't like a whole lot of money, but I felt so honored to have, you know, won this fellowship that it motivated me to say, not only am I going to learn the, the Chinese while I'm in China and do this language pledge, but I'm going to create a, what, you know, the best documentary film I can. Um, and that pushed me to not only to really have my own sort of focus while I was in Beijing. Um, and so in between the, the moments when I was cramming in uh, characters into my head, basically I would go out with a tripod and a basketball and find people to play basketball with. Um, and, you know, in anthropology, it's called participant observation, which is just a fancy way of saying play basketball with them and then ask them some questions. <laughs> um, but that was really cool because I liked playing basketball. It was a nonverbal way of building relationships with people. Um, and then after that, because I had to be through playing basketball, you built a certain amount of trust and understanding. Um, it was much easier to interview and talk to people. So first I'd take out the basketball. Then after playing a while, I would take out the tripod um, and interview people. And at that time, I was still working on my Chinese quite a bit. Um, and so I had my you know list of questions um, and I would ask those questions. And to be honest, most of the time, not fully understand the response, um, but I had it all on tape. Um, and so I would go back and edit these interviews and go through these interviews and hear how atrocious my own Chinese was. 
um, and then also actually go through their responses in a little more depth and get uh, a lot more of the nuance. And so, I mean, I think that, number one, helped my understanding of both Chinese and the culture improve a lot. And then also I had a product to show at the end, which really drove the rest of my China experience. So I, I ended up um, uh, putting out a, a, docu- a short documentary um, called Beijing, uh, Beijing Ballers, which was which was awesome. Uh, I, I actually got very engrossed, yeah, just sort of like with BBB when we say, um, what makes you forget time? Uh, the editing this video, I was just stay up, you know, hours upon hours editing this video. Um, and in the end, it was something I was very proud of and was able to share and and it helped give definition to my, my future route. Um, and so that, that video I brought back to Pomona, I shared with a bunch of people. Um, and because of that video, really, I, I think, um, it, it helped me move forward on uh, writing a thesis and then eventually um, getting a Fulbright to go to back to China um, because it was it was something I would say that was a little bit different in terms of um, uh, how to approach how to look at China um, and how to also um, you know even just produce something about China uh, and, this, and it was very timely too actually now that I think about it because it was right before the Olympics um, and so physical mm-hmm. culture um, and and the idea of you know how does a sport help define identity uh, was something that was very pertinent at the time, um, and so so yeah, that's the long way of saying uh, I think the ACC program actually and uh, in addition with this video that I was I was making um, was really the the launching point for being interactive and engrossed in China. I guess we can sort of move into like asking a little bit more about like then the next time you went back or maybe sort of like skipping to the like Fulbright. Um, and I know Gab's really curious to talk a little bit more about like where, where you're at now, like starting a family and like sort of maybe like settling down in China and like what, how that feels different from like the first time you were there. Uh, after studying abroad in college, um, I actually did sort of two Fulbrights, uh, or, and, and the first one was to go to the rural China and teach, um, and that was actually my, during my senior year of, of college, also through ACC, actually. Um, so that was okay. great. I, was, I also continued making another documentary film about that, um, and then was really lucky to get a, like a, you know, the Fulbright Scholar thing um, to go back to Xi'an. Um, which is a place that I had always wanted to go back. I've been back and forth um, a lot, right, with uh, China and the U.S. So to quickly zoom over, after the Fulbright, I moved back to the States for a year and then uh, almost decided to do a Ph.D. in anthropology, but decided that would be not what I want to do, Um, and then moved back to China to join a company called China Youthology doing market research on youth. Um, And then from there... I, uh, or this you know, Gab, is started the, the Bamboo Bicycles Beijing, right? Um, and began making the Bamboo Bicycles in Beijing for a couple of years. Um, and then tried to go back to the States again uh, to, to do education and, uh, and to, to get my master's. Um, and then as soon as I graduated, got pulled back into China again. So I've tried to leave China many times, um, including most recently. We decided to move back to the States in February, and then once COVID blew up around the world, we decided not to go. <laughs> so I've tried many times to get out of China, um, but it keeps pulling me back in. 
Um, and now where, where where I'm at is a definitely a new life stage um, where um, it's much harder to be a type A person and as, aspire to an alternative life uh, because um, we have this little girl named Brooke who's now two and a half, right, Brooke? <laughs> um, and we're expecting another baby, another little May May, another little girl um, in uh, September. And so I think this stage of life is a little harder to be alternative <laughs> um, because all of a sudden you have some more realistic questions um, with regards to, um, I think, just having enough stability and, and um, assurances that, hey, Brooke, Brooke, I'm going to hold this because I think the microphone is on there, okay? Um, but you can watch. But yeah, I think this life stage is is different because um, you need to, or at least me personally, I've become a lot more, I guess, risk averse in many ways. Um, doing something like starting a bar or starting a bamboo bike company or, um, you know, taking just time off, like a month off to go bike somewhere or whatever, that's much harder to do um, just in terms of the amount of time, um, but then also in terms of creating the sort of consistency and environment that's good for a family. Um, so I think actually getting married didn't really change anything, but having kids uh, changes quite a bit. Um, so yeah, so where I am right now in China is I'm constantly torn. I constantly want to have like a sort of more independent life and whether it's a startup or some sort of project and I get to focus on, you know, being sort of more creative and exploring more of China or, or other places in the world. Um, that's one sort of drive that I have. But I think I also am sort of very lucky to have the skill set and position where I can have a consistent job um, and have a, a job that brings in an income that can, you know, help secure a better future or the kind of future that I would imagine for the family that we have. Um, so that also means saying like, hey, uh, you know, what are the jobs that, or the, yeah, the jobs that sort of balance out um, what you're interested in. Um, and so right now I'm doing a lot with design consulting and innovation consulting um, and working um, with a company called Frog Design. Uh, and, you know, that's interesting because I get to, be exposed, of course, to a lot of different things, right? So right now I'm actually doing an early education program um, with them uh, about how to design educational toys and educational apps um, for Chinese people like me actually in China, like young parents. <laughs> um, and, you know, in a few months, who knows, I could be doing something in mobility or I could be doing something in, in beauty or something like that. Um, and so I get to expose to a lot, but it's also, um, it's also exposing me to the craziness of the economy and the jobs here in China. Um, and I don't, I can't totally compare because I've never actually really worked in the United States, but I think in China right now, if you, I never really came to China because I wanted to be a working professional. However, I find myself being a working professional and it's very intense, right? So in China, they talk about the, the, um, nine, 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 six, right? So working from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., uh, six days a week, which is sort of the, um, the, the standard, um, especially for more, you know, uh, digital type companies or more successful companies or whatever. Um, and that sort of ethos permeates throughout the whole sort of professional environment where people just work a lot um, and they don't necessarily work 
uh, very in an organized way, I would say. Um, but it's just a lot of just sitting and, and doing work and then restarting work and then lots of meetings. And uh, it's, it's not a very balanced life, in my opinion. Right. And then I've done some projects with European clients where for some whatever reason, it just seems like the work culture is a little more balanced. Um, and so that's been one of the other places that I've been struggling. And I think, you know, you look at China being such a um, quickly growing market um, and the economy is growing so much. Uh, and yet there's such sort of disparity between wealth and um, poverty in China. You, you can understand it from a sort of more macro level of like, of course, everybody's working their asses off to get to get ahead and to build the middle class dream or whatever. Um, because, you know, this is the time to do it. This is when all the opportunities are in China. Like, if you don't do it now, who knows? In the future, the economy might slow down and you might still be st stuck where you were, um, is sort of, I think, the ethos. So it creates this very vicious uh, cycle of, of work culture here in, in China, um, which, is a, which is a struggle. But there's also a lot of good things here. <laughs> I also wanted to ask you this question, which is, just like if someone were asked you, how do you define home? Or like, what would you call home? How, how would you answer that? Those two questions. Home is a place I think where you, where I would feel really comfortable um, being alone, uh, as well as being with with um, a community, right? Um, and comfortable to the point where. Um, I can be, I can have a uh, positive influence or I can actually, I'm a constructive uh, participation, right? In, in, in the home, right? And I think that definition has changed quite a bit if you had asked me three years ago, right? Like from then. But what I mean by number one, being able to be alone is just this idea of sort of um, having a space to yourself, which um, allows you it allows me to be much more, just have more time to think, more time to be comfortable, um, and then also have a community around you where you feel very comfortable um, doing things like having dinners together or going out and um, just having sort of that casual interaction, right? Um, which is like not so much of like, hey, let's plan to do an event together and go to this place together. But it's much more, hey, I'm out, I'm here outside. Uh, you're out here outside. We see each other a lot, um, and it's very natural to you know talk to each other and interact. Um, and so I think those two things are two things that I aspire to, and I don't have right now. Um, but I would want my home to be. Uh, and then there's the second aspect that also you feel. Um, engaged in the construction of that home right and so that the whether it's the physical environment around you or the people around you that you're coming up with ideas to make it make it better in some way right um and you know i think with bbb gab i think that was a sort of example of how i would feel at home right um even though it wasn't te technically a house but like at the time we had a workshop right and we had a workshop where i feel like people Number one, felt really good going into a space and feeling creative there and being on their own making stuff. Um, but number two, and what we tried to do was to say, hey, you know, when people walk by, they can come in and ask questions and they can work with us. And if they have, if they need a tool, they can borrow it. Um, and we were constantly trying to think of those different ways of like being involved with that small little Hutong community. Um, 
so yeah i guess that's yeah that's that's my definition of home <laughs> um part of me want to invite you on this show is also to clear out some of the stereotypes from a grassroots efforts um so if there's one stereotype that you want chinese people to know that is not correct about their perception of america would what, what would that be and vice versa <laughs> Or like you think people are being just too generalized. I think the, the thing that Americans, or at least the ones that I know, need to sort of shift in is that the U.S. isn't sort of the center of the world. Um, and that I feel like people say that often, but uh, um, I think with with for example with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the email exchange I've been having with this friend um, has been really. Productive and useful. However, his point in the articles that he forwards to me are um, the Black Lives Movement uh, is an international concern um, that uh, ties together every everybody, right, and all the uh, oppressed people. Um, and so everybody in the world needs to be very involved in this and very engaged in this, right? Um, and 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 he points to you know the protests happening in in Germany and the protests happening in Europe and. There's, I think, some examples um, as well here in Asia, uh, and I think in Singapore. Um, and then there's some other articles sort of tying what's happening in Hong Kong to in the protests in Hong Kong with the you know independence of Hong Kong uh, to the Black Lives Matter Matters movement. Um, anyways, I, 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 it's not that I disagree with him on a conceptual level that like, yes, there is a reason to resist oppression and to um, build coalition around people who are uh, who have who are systematically ignored or even threatened. Right. The problem that I have is that these articles that he sends me and sort of the position that Americans always have is that what's happening in the United States should be leading the solution or should is 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 the the way of solving. Um, a lot of the different issues, and that the world is just totally cares about this. Um, and I guess my point to him is that yes, people are aware that the Black Lives Movement is happening in the United States, but not to the degree that I think he he wants it or thinks it is happening. It's not a reflection of like American Chinese, you know, politics and international relations, or even the Hong Kong issue. Um, people do know, but like, you know, it's it's not. It's not as coalesced, I think, as as he would imagine it to be, um, and that people knowing doesn't mean that they are buying in or supporting or actively engaged in it. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's one of the the things that Americans often get wrong in the world is that we often assume that what's happening in the states is affecting the entire world and and i guess in some senses it often does economically or whatever but like this that sort of pompousness of assuming that is is really annoying to a lot of people in the world um and actually claudio who gab you know um who's my partner doing the bamboo bikes i remember really i forget what we were talking about but one time he was just i made some comment and then he was like you're such an american like and basically his point was like you guys just assume the world revolves around you and everybody understands what's happening in your country because it affects the world. Um, and, you know, I was really taken aback at the time because um, 
you know, I assumed like, oh, you know, I'm progressive, liberal, open-minded, blah, blah, blah. But like this pervades, you know, this, this sort of American exceptionalism pervades throughout political lines of like the U.S. is so special and whatever. And we should all be paying attention to what's happening in the U.S. because it is some sort of beacon for hope or whatever. Um, it's, it's just not not super accurate. Um, and Claudius, yeah, Claudius, South African, right? So, you know, he has a very different perspective. But Americans always, yeah. He, his point is that Americans always just stand out because they have this sort of pompous exceptionalism. The other way around from Chinese to Americans, oftentimes I'll get a comment that like, oh, you don't look very American, right? Um, and it's it's interesting because in the United States, if you said that, that'd be very, you know, racist and not good. But in China, it's just like, there is this idea of what an American looks like, right? Um, even though it's of all the countries, probably the hardest to define what actual American, oh, actual, you know, typical visual American would look like. But anyways, yeah. Hi, everyone. This is Gab. And thank you so much for being part of our conversation with David. We hope you really enjoyed um, the conversation as he talked about earlier trips to China when he was younger throughout the past decade. So our first season is coming to an end. And just a heads up, Lei and I will do a finale to form formally wrap up this fun little project that we've been working together during quarantine and since coming back home and yeah, um, stay tuned for the next episode, and we hope you have a really lovely day. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.